Hey, what's up, How About This listeners, and welcome to a new episode of How About This, where on today's episode, we talk about the Devil's Game, Dungeons and Dragons. We have a great guest with us on this week's episode, and we're ready to roll for initiative. Hello, How About This listeners. We are back, and we've rolled for initiative today because on today's episode, we are getting into some sort of turn-based combat on a tabletop somewhere in a dark basement in suburbia we assure you we are not worshiping the devil but if this was the 1980s you would assume so but before we get into what we're talking about today i have to introduce the uh no better way to say this the dungeon master himself mr jordan (laughs) hugh and thank you to my co-host he's a gelatinous dude inside a gelatinous cube mike staub um very nice I want a, a correction at the top of the show. I do worship the devil. Oh, okay. When I, when I play Dungeons and Dragons, um, I'm like the one in twenty thousand players who actually uses this to worship Satan. Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Hail Satan. Listen, I've listened to um, Blanche Barton talk. She is the widow of um, of one of the leaders of the Church of Satan. I think Anton. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's. It might be Anton Lavey. Mm. um and uh yeah they you know they're just all about all about uh passion it's like the sith yeah so, you know what, what yeah. can you do but we have a very special guest on today's episode he is the wise wizard who has lost his mind hanging out in the woods looking for you to take him on an adventure or he might give you some sort of special item and say it's dangerous to go alone take this the Hero and host of Dicey Rolls, good friend of Jordan and I, an expert D&D player and dungeon master, game master, Mr. Christian Titus. What's going on, my friend? Oh, you know, I just worship the Morning Star, which is actually a weapon that does 1d8 damage. (laughs) It's so good. Bludgeoning and piercing. Get out of here. Yeah, it's a pretty versatile weapon. Well, not versatile in terms of the the (laughs) characteristics. I mean, versatile in what it can do. So this can be be one of those episodes. So um, we just rolled 20 on that joke. On today's episode, we are talking about Dungeons and Dragons, something that um, was relegated to the basement by nerds and people who were unwilling to grow up and the people who were unwilling to grow up and population grew and grew and grew. And now Dungeons and Dragons is one of the most popular games on the planet. Jordan Christian and I have been playing D and D together for, Oh my gosh, probably about of uh, Jordan. And I've been playing D and D together for probably close to 20 years, Christian, me and Jordan, maybe close to 15. And it's been a great experience uh i i really love dungeons and dragons and it's definitely something that has grown over time i love to see how the community has grown with it i love to see how accepted it is now and how there is so much to it because D doesn't just refer to playing standard dungeons and dragons anymore it refers to so very much but before we get further into this what's your first experience with dungeons and dragons christian why don't you lead it off where, where did you get started yeah how did you how did you first start playing how did you even first become aware of D? Um, okay, so my computer was always a hand-me-down um, computer that was it was constructed um, with help of my brother, and it was like old parts. And so I don't know if anyone remembers the like the years where GameStop was incredibly relevant. 
but what was really relevant to me about it was that I never had a game system. So I would go in and the games that were on discount after they were like, they were used CD-ROM games for things like Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter. Um, not never, even Neverwinter I couldn't play, Neverwinter Nights. I, I had to do Icewind Dale and Baldur's Gate and those games ran on my computer just like Diablo did. And uh, I'm gonna say this, uh, my my father, if he ends up listening to this, I'm sorry. This is something that you you'll now know. Uh, my dad <laughs> used to keep the CD-ROM of Diablo in his office as a way of keeping it from me because my brother had gotten it earlier on in his life. Hail Satan! And hail, uh, Satan. hail Satan! Hail Satan! And oh my God, my, there's, there's more there's more stories about that. My name is Christian Titus, after all. Um, so. <laughs> So my my uh, my dad would keep it in his office, and I would just sneak in while he was at work and install it on my computer and play it as as far as I could go. Essentially, I piloted the idea of a speed run as an eight year old in a household that was very godly, and I would get all the way to the depths of hell and beat Diablo and then bring it back to him, and then my mom would be like, "You were working on your homework, right?" Yeah, sure. Anyway, the thing is that after talking about those games with people and being like, wow, yeah, these I've I played these things. I I met people in theater who played and it was in um I can't remember which friend's attic, but I remember that my friend Spencer Hale, now I believe his name is Skyler. Their name. I haven't checked in with Spencer slash Skyler in a little while, but Spencer was the one who took my party of ragtag people through a maze that led to a minotaur. That that first experience was like the magical, like it's it, it came down to two of us facing off against a minotaur as like level one characters, and some of the party had already been drained down. So like it came down to the sorcerer and the barbarian, and I was playing a sorcerer named Malvanus Titus, who hey! has been forever. Uh, uh, yes. yes, that yes. is the origin story. The famous um, Malvanus Titus, yes. The, the original character was a sorcerer who had taken that first level feat to um, just get proficiency in the exotic weapon of scythe. He was a sorcerer, scythe wielder <laughs> with a snake. And um, I, used, I used the snake wrong by... <laughs> by 3.5s like i was like oh i can cast through the snake so i can cast the spell and i can cast it through the snake so double spell and you know as as we got fond of saying in high school i'll allow it and uh <laughs> we barely Bill's beat the lane, minotaur Bill's by lane. breaking the rules yeah <laughs> so but that's that was my first experience but like it was it was a really magical one and then from there uh a friend of mine ben wells who i am literally playing with tomorrow um because i I reconnected with my my high school friends and uh, he he taught us all 3.5 with like all of the love and attention of like explaining the the rules and also how like the game mechanics matter and like visualize visualizing the game like explaining the dice roll numbers and why like a dagger has to be d4 and a battle axe needs to be a d12 and things that were simple then but um I think I think that like when I really got the keys to the car was when we started playing like, like really regularly with each other. Cause I, I brought some of the games that we did at, at college back to high school with my friends. And so that's what we've rekindled is a jumpers campaign that Jordan originally jammed us in the wrath Skeller. Um, yeah, but my, yeah. my twist on it. Oh, so wow. those are, that's the origin story of my obsession with this uh, incredibly involved storytelling game and I love uh, it. That's anything great. that you want game yeah. yeah so christian you learned on three five was your first system 
Um, honestly, I think that it it might have even been three. And a three, if I three unmodified, okay, yeah. If I count Baldur's Gate and not really understanding how Thaco, I I started playing Baldur's Gate Shadows of Om and Thaco didn't make sense to me, but boy did I love to cheat to see all of the special spell effects. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, uh, Thac yeah. Thaco still doesn't make sense to me. So um, yeah, we never we never played on a system that early, Mike. We really started yeah. with three five. Yeah, we were we were three five guys. You know, that's how yeah. that's how we began. Uh, Mike, Somewhere do you want to tell is saying. <laughs> somewhere, I, was, I was about to say somewhere Aslan is saying do not cite deep magic to me which <laughs> I was there when it was written um, Mike what is your uh, d, d origin story I think so, I think I was part of your d, &D origin I, I, story, so right? so Jordan I'm gonna Maybe. I'm gonna Maybe drop one I'm gonna drop one on you so we've I've got essentially my d, &D origin story is multifaceted Ooh, the great. first game of Dungeons and Dragons I ever played you ran Okay. And I'm not sure if you remember this game. I think you might have re remembered things that happened around and during this game. Mike, actually, better than that, I, th I think I actually have the game notes. So, I think I have the game. I think I have the notebook I wrote the game in. So the first game Jordan ran was a homebrew Dungeons and Dragons version of another thing we've talked about in this podcast, which was Doomtown. Mm. And it was a one night game that we played with me and Jordan was the DM. And we played with our friends, our friend Brad lives out in california if brad if you listen to this uh we miss you hopefully everything's good in california hey and then brad yeah and then our other friend mike and he ended up getting sick about halfway through that game and, and puking <laughs> mm -hmm. all over brad's house that was my first game of D D, uh and it was amazing <laughs> and i loved it from the beginning still to this day it always feels like when i'm playing D D, i'm doing something like it's like it's like going to the horror movie section of the video store it's like <laughs> oh i'm breaking the rules i'm playing dungeons and dragons late at night and then the first like real stuff with D&D &D is Jordan was a PC in a in a game that I played with Jordan um, my first like actual standard D&D &D campaign also 3.5 uh, I played a cleric for one night one game we played and it actually we ended up having to move the game to three different locations because the right. store was closed and all that stuff. We were we were partners. Was like was this when I was Clarion and you played? Yeah, Jury? I played right? Jury, who was a um who was a cleric. And then right. my first real campaign ever was run by Jordan that I played with. Um, we did like a little bit of a summer campaign with a couple of other friends uh, that the campaign never really, really manifested anywhere. But my first real legacy D&D character is Donovan, um, who is a pirate, essentially. He's the pirate. Sometimes he's the king of the pirates in certain versions of Jordan's story. And we played Jordan's Gythin campaign, which is a campaign Jordan wrote from the ground up for, I want to say, what? five, six, seven years we played that campaign. That was really yeah. my, we did another campaign, another one of Jordan's kingdoms, but that was really short-lived. It was just for like a few months. And then this one Gythin campaign where I played this pirate character um, for years. And to this point, Christian, like Malvanus, um, Donovan shows up in everything, not even things that I write. So um, to the point where like these characters have grown out beyond uh, beyond their thing. And Jordan has run some of the best D&D campaigns I've been in. Christian has run some amazing D&D campaigns that I've been able to play in. Um, so uh, we're lucky. We're lucky that this group has some good, great storytellers in this medium. And, uh, you know, I've, we've played superhero D&D. We've played gangster D&D. We've played classic D&D. We've played, um, you know, Christian, we're in a Christian game where Christian's running, where it's like, you know, Asian mythology, D&D. So there's so much different stuff that we've played that's beautiful and amazing. And it's such a great storytelling tool. But Jordan, what about you, man? Yeah, so um, 
I, I do want to mention this because I actually feel like it was formative, but um, my start with D&D, like even being aware of what it was, didn't actually come from like movies or television or anything because it, it was there if you were looking hard enough, but I, I wasn't. I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what it was. I, maybe I'd heard the name. But I was reading a lot of, as Mike knows, Spider-Man comics. I was reading a lot of Marvel comics in general. Yeah. And occasionally you would turn a page in Marvel comics and there would be this beautiful color illustration for TSR, like that they were putting out a new adventure. Or, you know, sometimes it would be um, something for Dragonlance or, you know, stuff like that that was maybe it could have been a D&D product, but oftentimes it was Dungeons and Dragons adjacent. And this was pre-internet, so you had to actually go to talk to people and ask questions. Um, and usually people were real dicks about it, right? And you'd be like, what is Dungeons and Dragons? And they would tell you, or they would tell me as a little kid, well, you know, it's a it's a game. So I remember going to Toys R Us and looking among the board games, Monopoly, Life, Scrabble, for Dungeons and Dragons, not understanding that this is not that kind of game. And it really very literally eluded me for years as to what exactly it was. So you have to understand that that seed had been planted as this thing that was being kept from me that I needed to learn more about. And Mike and I have talked about this on this show before, but I feel kind of bad for younger kids now who don't have that same kind of quest culture that we used to have. Like back in the day, Christian, I'm sure you went through something similar. Like you would hear the name Cthulhu and it was not easy to just like go into a search engine, and just type in Cthulhu and suddenly learn everything about H.P. Lovecraft. You kind of had to ask around and then be like, what is this? And then you see it for the first time and you're like, oh, my God, I think I'm going to lose my mind. What am I looking at? You know, so D&D was like very much like a questing kind of like, a, oh, this is what it is. And I remember some people were playing it in the back of a comic book store one day. And I said, OK, this is really, really cool. Fast forward to uh, my high school experience. I was, I think, a, a junior or even a senior already at this point. So I'd gone through most of my secondary education, not playing D&D, not really knowing what it was, but really into other nerd crap, comics, comic books, uh, video games. Mike and I were, were, you know, into all that shit, you know, plus card games, you know, Magic the Gathering, all that stuff. So we were, we were right in the sphere where we should have been. And then I started going to a performing arts high school half day with a friend of both of ours, Charlie, uh, Charlie Rolfs, friend, friend of the show, Charlie Rolfs. And he looked at me and he said, do you play D&D? It was in our one of our acting classes. And I, being a, a liar, uh, was like, yeah, of course. Of course I play D&D. And he's like, okay, great. My friend Ted uh, Goldstein is running a game. Uh, do you want to play? We need another one. It's a Watchers of Faerun campaign. I absolutely pretended that I knew what that meant. And I was like, okay, great, let's do it. And I went, and it might have been that weekend, and we played in Ted's game. And it was, you know... Uh, it was fun. It was it was kind of what I had imagined it was going to be. And I think I knew even after playing one game, I was like, OK, playing is fun. I want to be the dungeon master. And I realized very quickly from the module he was running or his notes, I was like, I think I could write my own adventure. So literally the second game I ever played was not as a player. It was whatever I ran for Mike. It was probably, I guess, that Doomtown game because Doomtown was a card game we were playing. And I was like, I want to run a world that is that. So I literally started my career as a DM modding the hell out of a system I barely knew. And then we went uh, back. <laughs> right. And just kind of like repairing. So I skipped a lot of stuff that I wish I had done. Like, I wish I had played through all the famous modules and learned the lore of Greyhawk and Faerun the way I should have uh, in the very fertile ground of the early days of 3.5. But I wasn't doing that. I was basically like getting a sense of the rules, understanding how the DC system worked, dice rolls and all that, and then just fucking playing it, just doing it. 
I, I won't bore you with the details after that. As, as you both know, it became just a, a it, there's never been more than a couple weeks in my life that I have not played a game one way or another. It's almost always been Dungeons and Dragons specifically, but even in this group, we've played a whole bunch of other tabletop systems. I just really like the genre, but it was, um, honestly, it's, it's one of the great passions of my life. I consider it very, very important to me as, as do both of you, which is, it's really great that we get to talk about it on this show. Yeah, it's it's a it's a magical thing, quite literally and figuratively. When we talk about D and D, I think it's it's a great thing for it's a great thing for people who might you know need need to break out of their shell a little bit, or it's a great conversational tool. It's a great storytelling tool. I think, and we've said this a million times before. Dungeons and Dragons appeals to different people for a whole bunch of different reasons. It appeals to actors because they get to play in character it appeals to writers because they can write backstories or they can be a, a GM or a DM and create their own worlds or write upon a world that's already been built. Um, it's number crunchers love it because they could make all these stats with their characters, people who collect dice like it because you got to use all those funky tetrahedral or whatever they're calling, <laughs> polyhedral dice. Clack, clack, math clack, rocks. Yeah, math rocks. Uh, the video video gamers like it because every video game ever is in some way, shape, or form based on Dungeons and & Dragons. And it's one of those things where it, it reaches to so many different areas of interest and is so malleable a system that, you know, it's really not just about I think all of them for me, most of the fun with D&D comes when you take it and you break it and you essentially mold it to what you want it to be, to where it's kind of like a suggestion and you let the the, the group kind of move through the story. And uh, not everyone likes that. Some people like when stuff is more rules heavy and, and you follow the rules to the nth degree. And if it's not in the book, then, you know, it's a conservative view of the Constitution. So it's one of those things where it's, it's, uh, it's a really great, game for so many people because it's not just a game it's kind of like it's and i don't want to say well it's an experience because no, totally in a way it is but <laughs> it's 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 something very special but D D in and of itself has different eras um do you guys have like a favorite version of D D that you prefer to play the most christian mm. um i am i'm on the five the five bandwagon because i think that it makes it most accessible and i'm definitely one of those people who yeah wants to be able to share D and D with as many people as possible. And in my life, there have been so many people that I've like tried, tried to teach some, some more successfully than others. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely this, this feeling of like, when you have to go through three, five with someone and explain, all right, so now skills, right? Like everybody gets to that point where it's just like, okay, oh, yeah. so you have, um, uh, 56 to allocate. So that's, that's because you're level one. So it's, uh, it's four plus your Intel modifier multiplied, or it's your Intel modifier t times four at level one. And then after that, it's just your int plus that, see how that works. And then they're like, uh, huh. it's like, okay, so what do you, what do you want to be able to do? You want to, you want to climb, you want, uh, well, climbing and swimming are just, they're, they're two different things because you can't, you can't both climb and swim unless you put those ranks right in there. And it becomes like one of those things where uh, I don't ever know that I can explain it fast enough to give it to people. And so uh, one of the things that I definitely had to do for, for Dicey Rolls was I sat with Richie and we, we worked on building the character. And, you know, even in fifth edition, it's like a lengthy process of deciding what, what, what do you want out of this character? And even like impart that to someone else of like, you can probably do whatever you want to do. 
And the people who come in with a strong imagination and go, you know, I, I want to be this kind of champion of the light and then go from there and say, what, but I want to understand the, the dichotomy between light and darkness. You know, I, I want to, I want to champion this cause. And then just like, well, how do you want to kick people's asses? Well, I want to be able to do this. All right. These are the feats that will construct and build this character this way. And, um, Three five, I thought was like super customizable, but just just too esoteric and and too much to convey to people. And fifth edition can be made so much more simple just by like advantage and disadvantage. And you know we've talked about all of those things. But I have so fond such fond memories of three five from the custom the customization that goes into it. And I love fifth edition for the unity that's and and popular side that it's it's brought so many people joy and so many people get to experience this, uh, this idea of creating a mind palace of these incredible fantasies that you adventure through with your friends. So, uh, fondness for three, five, uh, props to fifth edition. Really. I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. Uh, I think you're, I think you're right. I think that five is so much more approachable and it's easier to get people started. It's not without its problems, but mm. uh, I think maybe with six, maybe we'll find some unholy way of combining three, <laughs> five, and and five. Jordan, what about you, man? I really can't say it better than Christian. Yeah. Um, I'm on I'm on the five E bandwagon. I I think it's pretty close to perfect. And I I, I don't want to repeat Christian too much. I I miss some of the uh, customization and specification of three five, but I am all about inclusion and collaboration, and I think 5e is just better for that. And that's really all I have to say. Yeah, and I think that's, like you said, Christian, I think that's what led to 5th edition's overall popularity. I think because it's so accessible, and accessibility, I think accessibility in gaming across the board is very, very, very important. And that's not just tabletop games, that's video games as well. I think people having access to the systems and with Roll20 and D&D Beyond, you know, it makes it so much easier for people to uh, interact with Dungeons and Dragons who might not have before. Which, I can... as of this recording, D&D Beyond was just purchased by Hasbro mm -hmm. Wizards of the Coast. So that is now all going to be official material. I hope that that means that when I buy a physical book, I can then redeem it on D&D Beyond. Uh, I think so. However, and I'm going to be a little snarky towards Hasbro, I'm sure Hasbro did not make this purchase thinking that they were going to give away free books oh no 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 so, it's just that's I think how there comics will be some, there will I, no i know you know, yeah. i know uh, there will be something you can redeem for sure there must be some crossover between physical media and digital media otherwise what's the point yeah it's like movies and stuff and all that stuff too yeah. I didn't. i didn't know that it was just uh it was just got by wizards and it uh, just ha it happened yesterday wow yeah. wow yeah. okay so but i mean like prediction here uh your miniatures are going to be scannable and they'll be well, uh i mean There'll be a, a virtual battle. So you'll be able to buy the actual dragon and then have it for your in-campaign moments. And then you'll be able to put it on some kind of QR scanner at the bottom right. and it'll just pop right into a virtual tabletop if, too. If they are smart, they will work towards something like that. Um, um, Mike, Mike what about you? Do you have a, a preferred edition or an edition experience? That's yeah, unique? let me, let me, let me. Uh, <laughs> all right. So obviously I'm with you guys. I, I love three, five. I think that fifth edition is also uh, remarkable and its ability to, you know, kind of bring new people into it. Uh, I think though, if I want, I just need to give, I need to tip the hat to D 20 modern, uh, just oh, yes. because that is a three, five, enhancement 3.5 version. It's a product based on the 3.5 model that takes D&D &D and it breaks apart any of the restrictions to a time period. 
and it allows you to just base base your characters based on their attributes. And uh, the classes are essentially each individual attribute. And uh, it makes for a much more free experience that still has the necessary restrictions. My least favorite thing to hear from someone when when they're talking about D&D is they say, well, this system that you're looking at is too rigid. You should play something that's more open. It's more better. It's better for role-playing, which makes no sense to me because nothing in the D&D books restricts my role-playing. Nothing. Nothing in the DMD books restricts my role-playing, but the games where people are usually like, oh, well, this system's so much better. It's usually some system that has no restriction so that every character can do whatever the heck they want. And then you don't know what anyone does. And then you're in this weird spot where you do that. So a thing like D20 Modern, um, I think that's a really good way because you could do D20 Modern with swords. You could do D20 Modern with magic. Yeah. You could do D20 Modern with superpowers. You could do D20 Modern with guns and, and D20 Modern in the future. You could do it in the Wild West. So there's so much stuff you could do with D20 Modern. I think and the malleability is really good. I have excellent D20 Modern news for the D20 Modern fans out there, though I think the community at large might know this already. The makers of D20 Modern... Um, which again, I agree with Mike, one of the best systems ever, uh, have now made Everyday Heroes, which is only at the Kickstarter level right now. Uh, so they're trying to bring that to reality, but it is it is D20 Modern for 5th edition. Well, there goes called, my pitch. Well, it's called Everyday Heroes. It actually, remarkably, and I don't know if it's the same artist, has very similar cover art. You can go ahead and put that in your search engines, search engines now, Everyday Heroes. Um, I will be buying it. I, I'm supporting the Kickstarter. Um, it's not a wizard's back product. Presumably, I'm sure they use like the monsters from the SRD and, and the open games license stuff. But um, it is if you want D20 modern, but you want the fifth edition feel, that is what's happening. Um, because what's funny is that we still play D20 modern, which is operates on three five, even though we're in the era of fifth edition. Oh, my God, I that that reminds me there was there was a period where i was uh desperately trying to uh foolishly on my own too i was trying to adapt uh star wars uh 3.0/3.5 into 5th edition and then mm. someone just was like have you guys seen this 5th edition star wars book and i was like yeah and like i just frustratingly threw all my papers up in the air i was like <laughs> it's good it's better than yeah. what i wrote yeah someone's doing it already someone's done it but yeah. oh, that's awesome. Love yeah. my, it was, actually, that was one of the greatest things about playing with you guys in the Rathskeller was that that was a part of how the world opened up for me. Cause I was like, oh, it's not just fantasy. And then we were a bunch of film and theater nerds and we could make anything happen gamified. Like yeah. anything was gamified. Yeah. So we're uh, just for those of you out there who are paying attention, Everyday Heroes releases the core rule book or release in the winter of 2023. So I, wow, we I got a get, while on that one. So yeah. about a, a little bit less than a year, a little bit less than a year, it'll it'll release. So probably January, February twenty three. So keep your eyes and ears open. Uh, you can actually go to evilgeniusgaming.com to take a look at what Everyday Heroes is all about. But let's talk about D and D. So before we get into our pitch ideas, because we're getting close here, uh, let's play a little game. Maybe it's not even a game, but let's play. Let's uh, let's let's go around the horn quick and. Um, Give us your favorite PC that you've made, a favorite game that you've run, and um, a favorite. (laughs) You know how I operate, and um, a favorite a favorite character class. 
let's start with character class because sure. I think that's the most answerable, easiest one off the top. Okay. Um, we'll throw it to the special guest. Uh, Christian, what's your favorite character class to play? I, I guess of, of, of oh. let's let's keep it fifth edition, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um honestly with fifth edition, I was so stoked about fighter. Um, and I'm normally a wizard. I'm normally flat out spellcaster because I love the variety that spellcasters get. But uh like playing through fighter for the first time and, and really staying a fighter purist, you you just you have so much that you can do and especially for like pacing of the game fighter fighter makes it like very very easy to move along with a battle i i love a good fighter because i i also just love things that are just like all right let's bash down that door let's go uh <laughs> and sometimes that's me with the spellcaster but boy i i remember when we were playing uh chris's campaign with uh with arthur swordbane um who who will not be my my favorite, but is definitely is definitely up there. Arthur was just so much fun to play, to be able to go in and just like trip and and the the simple sides of um the the supremacy dice with the the battle master. It's just it's a great way to make fighter flexible and that that short rest, uh like that it makes fighters exactly what they should be in the party. Like the guy who's who's the watcher at the wall ready to go. Even if the mages are a little bit tired, the fighters got to be like, we'll hold, we'll hold for you. So that's, that's what I, I I've been really impressed by what they did for fighter, making it um, a really enticing class to play. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. What, what about you, Jordan? Uh, my favorite class is wizard. Uh, wizard has usually been my favorite class, regardless of what edition I'm playing or even what game I'm playing. I think for the same reason that most people like wizards is the same reason I do. There's a lot of versatility there. They're basically your variety type spellcaster. Also, I tend to value characters that have high intelligence. Um, intelligence and charisma are usually the, the most important stats to me when role-playing. Um, so the fact that wizards get to kind of like show off their intelligence is important to me in a game. And I think they're just really fun. Nothing says D&D more to me than just like a giant fucking fireball being thrown at something and that's um that's great and i also appreciate the variety of wizards themselves because of the arcane tradition right or or formerly schools of magic right there are so many different kinds of wizards you can be and i i appreciate that there's a lot of just creativity and spell casting and it becomes a lot of fun also just strategically you know when we're talking about the combat side of the game uh, I enjoy staying at range and just kind of casting things from afar, going on the offense and doing those kinds of things. I find most of my favorite PCs that I've played um, have been wizards. And if they're not a wizard, uh, you know, close second would be as a sork uh, sorcerer, um, mm. you know, for, for a similar reason. <clears throat> I always think I always thought like sorks are just like the heavy metal version of a wizard. You know what I mean? Um, so that's that's the rock and roll mage. Um, so I like that. Uh, I like both. I, Warlock sort of even more so. But. I'm uniquely untalented at playing warlocks. I seem to be really bad at it. So I'm, I'm going to stay away from those, but I think they are fucking cool as well. What about you, Mike? So I'm going to surprise absolutely no one. Uh, for those of you who know what my favorite characters are and pretty much anything across the board, um, you would assume that, oh, Mike, you're a musician. You're, you're, you sing a little bit. You, you'd probably, your favorite, favorite class is probably the Bard. And I like the Bard. I think the Bard is good, especially in fifth edition. I think the Bard is actually very good in fifth edition because they're like the versatility class. They could do they like everything, yeah. especially, yeah, especially when they could start throwing fireballs. But my favorite class 
pretty much since day three, not day one, since day three has been the rogue. Oh, what I, a shock. I, wow. I, I, you know, uh, and it's Mike funny. Stubb with a dex based character? <laughs> oh, what are you talking about? You know, Jordan once broke it down where he's like, Mike, you play. Jordan was like, I play talk. Jordan said to me, I play talkers and thinkers. Mike, you play talkers and shooters. That's kind of what I do. My favorite characters, pretty much across all media, are always the kind of uh, swashbuckler kind of rogue characters, the characters that like, aren't really good at their jobs, but that makes them good at their jobs. And, you know, the Indiana Jones and the Han Solo, the Harrison Ford role is usually one of my favorite character types and pretty much just about everything. And I don't like- totally true of you, yes. I would say in every game that Mike and I have played in together, my characters are smarmy know-it-alls and Mike's characters are wisecracking roustabouts. That's like every pairing. Well, let's, 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 Call it what it is, man. Spider Man's my favorite superhero. You know, and I Dr. play Strange, and Doctor Strange is mine. So <laughs> exactly, that, yeah, that, this tracks. It, it works. <laughs> it works. And um, I've always loved playing a rogue. But my rogues are never like the hide in the shadows and kill you without seeing me. Rogues. I'm the rogue that runs up to you and smashes you in the face. Which is why I like the swashbuckler uh, talent tree in Fifth Edition because you can always sneak attack. When you're a swashbuckler because you're just that good and uh i really do love playing that character and i am i am definitely a rogue first and um i definitely have dabbled in monk i've dabbled in bard but when it comes to it i i really do like playing playing rogue and you know what i'll spin this in my even my favorite pcs that i've played have pretty much been my rogue characters like i said before my character donovan who's a pirate uh, he was a epic level rogue uh, swashbuckler in fifth edition. Uh, I, I'm sorry, in third edition, uh, which uh, 3.5 rather. And I, I've loved him forever. And um, I, did, I had another superhero in one of Jordan's campaigns who was essentially the rogue. His name was Barry. He was a, uh, a energy projectionist. And one of my favorite new characters that I've played was in a game that Jordan ran is a goblin rogue artificer named Fuse. And he is one of my absolute favorite characters of all time. He's a Magic the Gathering based goblin. He's armed (laughs) to the teeth with gadgets. He's 40 years old. So for a goblin, that means he's like ancient and he hasn't been eaten or killed or blown up yet. So yeah, it's always a rogue for me, guys. Isn't that what's Fuse's epithet? He's actually referred to as mostly fortunate. Mostly fortunate. The Fuse the mostly mostly fortunate because he would have gotten blown up, but he only blew Ah. up his hand. Yeah. So he has like a robot hand. Wow. That's quite good. I love that. Um, Christian, (laughs) Christian, what is your favorite PC that you've played? Whenever someone asks me about this, it always comes down to um, Equilod 6 Pith from (laughs) the Pandemonium series that you GM'd. (laughs) Yes, I honored. Equilod was the most chaotic character of all time. (laughs) <laughs> he was not originally my choice of like uh like i was thinking oh you know what do we do we're making demons in hell and so what does my demon torture people with and equilod was the demon of ruining relationships <laughs> the uh introduction to equilod was that uh before he's called away to his his duties for the main campaign there's a couple who's sitting at a diner and having uh, like a bit of a talk about their relationship, and Equilod is uh, creating distractions that are causing the man to look away towards like the the sexy waitress and causing uh, causing his uh, his his partner to just get more and more frustrated with him, and this continued forward in the game as um and you know in in retrospect I feel I feel bad when uh like interplayer blood happens. <laughs> 
but uh, the story is too good to to dismiss. Uh, it's gone. The <laughs> they don't let you do this in fifth edition, and this is uh, this is something that I will always enjoy. <laughs> um, so one of the players in Pandemonium was uh, playing a character who tried to uh, pretty much sell the party away to Mephistopheles. And what he didn't realize, and or his character didn't realize, but as he began to try to metagame, we're like, no, 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 you don't see him. Because Equilod's favorite thing to do was to, <laughs> was to turn into a gaseous form and just like hang around and just watch things and then claim that he'd like take take uh, credit for for the combat that had happened like we we were going to fight a thousand battles in hell if we uh if we didn't win this one combat and then uh you know when the beast was felled by he just apparated out of the smoke and just looked like he had actually felled the creature and then when mav was uh and it, it was matt mavroides mav i am so sorry <laughs> you deserve better was, uh, playing radamanthus radamanthus was his character Rad Rather than this, and he was he was a badass demon who was a lord. He had he, he had he had built this character to be a no, was, lord was, of hell. A, a cool character, yes. He was a cool character, and my character was the one who is I don't know, like a you were a little bit like Peter Baelishy. It was a trickster character, I would say. Yeah. Yes, he he had like a, a like pretty much like a, a straight up white mask that yeah, was his face. He was. Right. a Greek choral almost thing uh, and just laughed. He never spoke, um, but he took many actions. And so the, the thing was that at one point, Mav realized that he had to fight the party because he they knew that he was selling them to Mephistopheles. And so during the fight, there was a horn of blasting that Jordan had given us, and it was in my inventory. And in 3.5, it is allowed for you to drop things out of gaseous form, which you are not allowed to do in 5th edition. I've checked because I like to know that I can still do things. Um, so what I told Jordan as I was like, I'm going to turn into gaseous form and enter his lungs. And mm -hmm. Jordan was like, okay. And I was like, and because gaseous form allows me to drop an item out of it and it materializes, I'm going to drop the horn of blasting mm -hmm. into uh, his, <laughs> into his throat. Yes. Backwards. <laughs> and I don't think that Mav in that moment realized what I had done because, and, and this made the, the defeat ultimate and legendary in my mind. Mav said, all right well with my last words i and jordan interrupted and said you say nothing as you inhale the horn of blasting activates in your bowels and sonic energy shatters your body you are dead and equilad reappeared and gave a <laughs> and it felt very much like um <laughs> a mortal combat moment of like Fatality. <laughs> it, it was truly legendary. It's one of the great D and D moments of my life. It really was. And, so good. And it was a fun, fun campaign. There were just so many, and the magic items that Jordan made were were really, really cool to to then be able to do creative spell casting. And he was a sorcerer, which is one of my other favorite classes to play. Really, I just I love a good spellcaster, and Equilod is definitely one of those reasons. Yeah, I have a very quick one. My favorite PC that I've played, um, and it's it's a close race here, obviously, is a character called Jasly the Cat. Oh, Jasly! Jasly the, the Cat. Yeah, Mike has played with Jasly the Cat. Jasly the Cat is uh, he is a a black cat, a normal size black house cat, um, 
And his claim, he's a he's a talking black house cat, a la Salem from Sabrina, the teenage witch. Um, he's a wizard. And his claim is that he was a powerful wizard who ran afoul of a powerful witch and he was transformed into a cat and he is longing to break this curse. But that is a lie. He really is just a cat. And he has, you know, he's he's the favored pet of a of an enchantress and has escaped. He's a runaway cat. He's become kind of a cat about town. I, I think what I really just enjoyed about him was he just is so much into the luxury of adventure. Like he just like sneaks into people's packs and like goes to sleep there. And he uh, there, there's a certain visual image of Jasley because he's an enchanter specifically. Again, he was the pet of an enchantress. So he's learned her tricks. He has permanently enchanted to this point a scarecrow, a suit of armor, a chest, and a spell book, and a crystal ball that all have some low level of sentience. So you don't really know who or what you're talking to when you talk to his character. Basically, this stuff shows up, and you're like, uh, it, do I address the suit of armor? Do I address the scarecrow? Uh, surely not the cat, but indeed it is the cat. He's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. And actually, by the end of that campaign, we the most recent Jastly Adventure, we had played through, uh, Mike and I had played through Storm King's Thunder. Yeah. Because um, our buddy Jim had ran, run the module for us. And uh, we great had a great game. time. And uh, Jastly made it through that whole game, somehow did not die. He actually grew to have a heart by the end of it. Because in the beginning, he's just a cat. He's like, ah, fuck it. I'll just, you know, kill people. It's fine. Um, but by the end, he was like, no, killing is wrong. I have to I have to evolve beyond this. So he was just a really fun character. So that was intriguing to me. And again, because it was he was a distinctive look and I was able to use the rules of fifth edition and powerful enchantment to really kind of make him what I wanted, which was just like almost like a page of the beast's enchanted castle had been ripped out. And those items had been affixed to a cat and his his life. Uh, so that was fun. I love Jasley. He's he's like, it's funny. You were you were like a um, you were one Dorothy away from really being I know I know I needed to have like a, a a little girl with me that would take care of me but maybe didn't know that I was a wizard maybe that because Jasley is both like the cowardly lion and Toto the dog like right he's much more the cowardly lion because oh that's the other thing about Jasley is he is a coward he will yeah. he does not want to be in a fight he will no. just cast spells from being in a hidden position yes um, no, that was uh, no. I love Jasley. In that campaign, I played a a um, Tempest cleric by the name of uh, Casper, who was 13 years old, and he was kid, uh, kid Thor. He kid was kid, Thor, essentially basically. Kid Thor, and uh, it was a lot of fun. A lot <laughs> he of just fun. Lightning the hell out of everything. <laughs> Everyone got hit with lightning. <laughs> that oh was my just God. like a theme of that game. Was it was Storm King's Thunder? We were just like, yeah, we're just gonna lightning everybody. Light, uh, <sighs> you know, you know what happens to a toad when it gets hit by lightning. Same, Same thing, that, thing happens. that happens to everything else. That's it right. Wins, it wins an Oscar for Monsters Ball. Exactly. A few years later. Um, <laughs> Your favorite so, game that you've run, Mike? Fair game that I've run, you know, I don't know. I haven't run a lot. I haven't run nearly as much as the two of you guys. Uh, I've, I, I that's ran. That's actually a lie. I think you've, you've run more than a dozen campaigns at this point. Wow. I can't yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, very, uh, like, it, very few actually just like some running worlds but uh i don't think that i've run as many campaigns as you mike so in college i ran a few um i ran a few campaigns based off the final fantasy games uh with you two which you two were part of which i really had a lot of fun with outside of that with jordan i ran a campaign with jordan and uh, my brother and, and another friend of ours I ran a campaign called Otherworlds, which was like a space exploration game, which was just over the top, ridiculous and wild and purposely items were far too powerful. And it was based off of my favorite video games. It was like, 
Mega Man meets like, I don't know, everything else I like. And uh, more recently, I think this might be one of my favorites that I've run. Uh, I'm doing a D20 Modern based with uh, friends here that are local in person. I'm running a D20 Modern based uh, Marvel superhero game that takes place in New York City in 1977. And uh, just to give you a little look in a uh, look in it's a street level marvel universe so it's spider-man it's the daredevil it's those street level heroes to give you a little bit of insight of what happens at the end of the first game they fight electro they fought electro when electro was beaten he was thrown into all of the generators at con edison causing the new york blackout of 1977 Jordan's character in that game is a werewolf who I've given a werewolf hotel to where it's a hotel where all the Marvel werewolves just go to kind of wolf out when they can. It's so uh, that's one of my favorite it's things I've really, created. really fun. <laughs> so um, that's, that's definitely up there. I, I love the final fantasy games I ran with you guys. And um, you know, I've run a couple of games that have gone one or two games and like weren't able to get off the ground, but I think that happens to all of us. What about you, Christian? Um, wow. I, I'm thinking because you have to talk about the big one, Christian, come on. Well, so it is, it is actually, I I'm thinking about like a particular game session of Demon Mortem, which was originally I, I called it death city. And the idea behind it was to just have a Facebook page where I posted like just some, like, uh, some jobs to be done in this, uh, this dark city that is run by, corrupt wizards who were originally originally they were the red wizards really like it was inspired by the red wizards of Thay, and now i've like come to to describe them as the crimson order which almost has a first order yeah <laughs> mix of of that it's it's a that kind of vibe um but yeah, this the city is is like this oligarchy of wizards that uh, pollutes it with their magical, uh, uh, like uh, <laughs> the magical waste that they make from making all of these weapons, and they have like pretty much permission to do whatever they want in the city as this ruling class, even in a section of it, killing whoever they want, uh, just in the name of magic. If they're just trying to experiment something, they can kill somebody who walks into Wizard's Way and just blast them with something and kill them and so it makes them excellent villains and then they're just people who need things done around the city that can sometimes be uh blocked by the red wizards or by some of the other factions that are in the city but the game that i'm thinking of actually is uh, a jordan hugh baltus ostrander and susan gimlet game <laughs> of past yes. lore um and it, it's it's always been memorable because I I think Mike you might have been a part of this game too as as Gil at the time because you were a hunter so this this game in particular was about um uh, there was a a fox that I made like a a dire shadow fox that was in the woods yeah. and there was a Skinner in the lower part of the market district that really wanted his pelt. And because Jordan and Rich both like ran this, uh, this uh, wondrous emporium of, uh, of goods, Jordan, what, what was that called again? Do you, do you remember the was, name? Well, it started off as just Ostrander's Exotics. Exotics. Which was meant to be a potion shop that I ran like a black market out the back of. But then my partner, of course, was Susan Gimlet, who was like a good-hearted adventurer. And I think the I think it, the name of the shop changed to also include Susan's name, but I forget what it ended up being. 
Yeah, that that shop was really fun for for a lot of reasons because it gave you like a base of operations in the city and the market district being like a, a, a city of economy. This this was like an important place to have a base. But uh, you guys were charged with going out and hunting that fox and it, it became a much more emotional game than um, I had originally I intention it. because yeah. mm -hmm. it, it was a sort of feeling that this is not actually just a, another pelt. It's definitely a magical pelt that's going to be worthwhile to, to that Skinner. But it was very apparent that in the forest that this, uh, this forest spirit was very important. And also just like a little bit horrifying. He had that side actually a little bit inspired by when I play with people, I'm inspired by the kinds of uh, vibes that I get off of them. So um, in his human form, I actually kind of imagined that the shadow fox would look a little bit like Jordan with like a top hat and coat and tails, a very refined <laughs> fox, like fantastic Mr. Fox, but actually human humanoid form so it's the he nicest was, compliment i've ever received <laughs> he was uh he was a well-loved fox in the forest and they they pulled the job but when the fox died it was apparent that like almost in a disney-like fashion the entire forest came to mourn the death of this fox and you know baltus being uh sort of a very neutral like i'm here to do the job actually was he neutral evil or was he just um True yeah, neutral. he was he was neutral evil uh, because he was kind of an unprincipled, selfish character. But then through the events of Demon Mortem, he became, I think, ultimately just neutral because he just couldn't be evil after a while. Right. I remember you uh, starting to starting to like cut up the fox and uh, that feeling with with Rich because Rich is also like a very emotive uh, player. And Susan was sitting there, and you could see that he was going, "Oh no, I feel like." feel like this is a bad thing that we've done and uh and you know he, he spoke with the the typical i, I think that this is he, he had that dwarven scottish voice right all dwarves and, are scottish it's it's been established yeah. yeah of course yeah and and uh <laughs> that's the thing was that that moment was was really powerful but then that's why i chose to have because i saw how it affected rich i was like i'm gonna have the fox haunt them at their uh at their store and so they then had to deal with a ghostbusters like thing of like how do we get rid of <laughs> the spirit of this dead fox that is making us feel guilty for what we've done in the forest and that always stuck out to me it was just a great game yeah that's awesome mm. i love that jordan you got a favorite campaign oh boy um it's okay uh, so i i mostly am the dungeon master i i it's a really rare treat when i get to be the player for a full campaign as a result i have a lot of games and choosing one is like choosing a child. So I'm going to say this is my favorite today. Okay. This is my favorite game today. Ever since high school, when Mike and I got really into the card game Doomtown, um, which is based on Shane Hensley's Deadlands um, tabletop game, his, his world, um, the Deadlands world, I have just really loved telling stories in that world and working with those characters. And then just outside of that, I love Westerns. I love Western films. <laughs> novels uh, and there's a lot tied into deadlands because it has a horror element and also a sci-fi fantasy element so it's kind of like a genre pulpy mashup in this western setting so in college and you both played in various iterations of this game the first college doomtown game was called wide open graves which was <laughs> it had like the deadliest opener <laughs> yeah. of any of any game I've ever run where I was like, I'm going to start with two parties in this first session. The first session is going to be like eight to 12 hours long and half the people playing it will die. 
And the secret motivator to that was that I was going to take the living party and run one campaign with them. And then I was going to take the dead party and run one campaign with them as dead people, which in the Deadlands game is called, they're called the Harrowed. Um, when when you come back to life and there's like a spirit possessing your body. But what was what was really funny and I, I think worthy of mention on this podcast is when you kill a character, it is a little bit like killing a piece of the person playing them, which is something I didn't learn, I think, until it was too late as a game master. Not that I take it back, but I really overestimated people's want to play as a dead version of a character that they would already had already created. Because what ended up happening was, dear listener, because Mike and Christian already know this, is that the six living players were like, okay, great, yep, great, I get to play in this game and it's going to be awesome. And it was. Um, the six dead players, for the most part, were very bitter. <laughs> like, you know, we're very, um, very upset with the whole experience. And I don't blame them because it was, you know, we had not done a lot of PvP in D&D to that point, or I should say in, in tabletop D20 to that point. And it was a game that put player versus player. However, however, despite all that happening, Wide Open Graves turned into a really long and very fulfilling campaign. There was a follow-up to it called Thunder Gulch that had yeah. mostly a new, a new set of players. And those two games, Wide Open Graves and Thunder Gulch, ended up just being a really wonderful time for me in terms of uh, being a storyteller. But it also taught me a lot about collaborative storytelling, uh, which was not something I had a grasp on until that game. And we'll talk more about that in pitches, which are about to come up next. I know, yes. I know we're, we're over time. That That's like the big lesson I had to learn as a game master, because before those um, Deadlands games, before uh, those Doomtown games, I think I was very much of the wrong impression. I was like, well, I have a story and I've written it. And yes, the players have some wiggle room, but ultimately what I want to happen is going to happen. But because of that really deadly tournament where not even I really knew what was going to happen, I realized I was like, wow, look how much fun it is and look how much more emotional it is and how much more deeper it, it can cut all the way to the bone when the players have stakes in the world yeah, and that they are telling the story as well. And from that point forward, to the best of my ability, and sometimes I've failed, I've tried to give the players real estate in my games, emotional stakes in my games, and the ability to not just change the story, but to wildly change the story to the extent that they are sometimes telling me the story and I'm running to catch up. So more than anything, whether it's my favorite game or not, certainly up there, that's the game that taught me the most. And that's why I think it stands out in my mind. Cause I was like, Oh, the players are called the players because we're all playing together. Yeah. They're not just the blank spots in my narrative. Which is, which is beautiful. And both of those games were, amazing amazing things to be a part of i would love to return to the weird west at some I'm sure, point I'm sure, I'm sure we shall and i have played other <laughs> western e-type games since then i did uh i did one during the pandemic with another group yeah uh, i think i will get back to it eventually but um it, definitely that one stands out uh, in my mind mike i'm gonna throw this over to you where do you want to go next in the show let's it pitch time let's pitch it baby and we're gonna throw it to christian first christian you got the lead pitch my friend so run with it yeah, and, and for Pitching. this show, you can pitch anything. So, you know, D&D, &D, uh, it's one of the biggest properties I can imagine. We will be back. Yeah, right. You could pitch any feature of this you want to pitch. If it's a world you have, great. If you're just pitching a new class, that's great. Anything you want to do, as long as it starts with the magic words, which are, of course, the title of our show. Here we go. How about Hasbro? Turn me into a real dragon. I'm just kidding. I, that, <laughs> now, wait a second. How about... How about... Uh, well, I, I'm going to lead in very quickly just because I think uh, 
one of the things that has always been on my end of the Christian, like, you gotta say it. You gotta say the thing. I gotta say it? Okay, yes, I gotta, you say, gotta it. say it. How about this? And we're gonna roll for initiative. There you go. Go ahead. Good. Nicely what, done. Wait, what was that? What was the outcome? What was my number? Oh, uh, you got an 18 on the roll. That's pretty good. Oh, that's we used to call that a Neil Patrick Harris. Um yeah, anyway. we still do. We still do. Uh, <laughs> um, so here's the the thing that I've always wanted is to be able to play a necromancer with no fear of <laughs> all of the the management and no fear necromancer. it's already good uh, um so so i was i was going through when we were talking about like all right what's what's my pitch going to be and i was i was looking i was like you know what if i want to play a necromancer what's that going to be like and i i looked and i saw that animate dead is a spell that is upsettingly broken and destroys the game mechanic if you use it the way that you can. So here's what I'm going to let you guys know if you haven't already, and I'm sure that there are people out there that are going, I know where he's going with this. So Animate Dead allows you to um, like animate one corpse with a level three spell, and as you use spell slots higher, you can animate two more for each spell slot higher. You can also reassort, uh, reassert control over those corpses at the end of a 24-hour period, using the same spells. So that means that if you're constantly sacking your spell slots, you can amass an army of undead skeletons and zombies. <laughs> now, <laughs> Skeletor knows. <laughs> Here's Skeletor with uncomfortable necromancy information. <laughs> so to command all of those skeletons that you can have, and the number is after sacking all of your, if you're a level 20 necromancer, you can sack your, your third level slots up to ninth to get 128 zombies and skeletons of Good mixed Christ. variety, depending on the corpses that you have in order to use this in combat, you can use a bonus action of yours to command them all to do the same thing. However, they all have the same initiative and they don't all. sorry i flipped it around i want that to be the case they don't all have the same initiative they have to all roll their own initiative so if you somehow oh, manage to get your dm to be like sure you can have an undead army you're a necromancer i want you to play through that fantasy instead <laughs> they have to go all right so i'm gonna roll 128 d20s with a calculator <laughs> And what what's the bonuses? Oh, well, the skeletons have plus two, but the zombies have minus one. <sighs> and uh, it can be even more diversified, too. Create Undead allows you to summon whites. Guess what whites get to be able to do? Be in charge of up to 12 zombies <laughs> as a lieutenant. So depending on how much you put into the whites and how much you put into your animate dead, you can piss off Jordan Hugh to no end with your necromancy spells. And it gets even better, folks. A long rest is eight hours, and this spell allows you to reassert control as it's a 24-hour duration where you don't have to concentrate on it. So no bopping the, the necromancer on the top of the head and like Phantom Menace, all of the droids fall completely down to the floor. No, sir. Instead, if you want... You can be that guy and get double that amount at the end of a long rest. You can just keep summoning them to have a ridiculous amount. And even worse is warlocks who could, in using their their like short rest, getting all of their stuff back, a level 20 warlock who is maybe the undying or that, that uh, whole slot there, 
they can every two hours get back their level five spell slots the four that they have to reassert control over 32 every two hours so like everyone here should probably be saying but christian you need the corpses you need the dm's permission the dm has so many different ways to deal with this a fireball wreaks havoc and yes it does but we still have to put those pieces on the board. And I'm tired of summons pulling down the speed of the game. You want that epic combat, but you don't want to have to do the numbers for every single one. No must, no fuss. No must, no fuss. So here's what I suggest for necromancy. There's a 60 foot radius on how you can control these things. Just make it an aura of undead <laughs> swirling like monsters that are around you that have some kind of reaction or bonus action command ability that you don't have to concentrate on. But maybe uh, every time that somebody enters it, just like many of the warlocks, like auras that are just like, you take damage because you are in warlock aura. No, no save, take damage for you are in warlock aura. Um, <laughs> You can do something similar, just a little bit, uh, like bits and pieces of just like, roll a d6, roll 1d6, and the outcome of it, and this is my proposed game mechanic, you can roll that d6 uh, until you get a 6. Okay. And that's the damage that you do, and oh, yeah. or you could you could literally just make it some sort of thing where you you slowly start using, you can sack the spell slots and hold on to them the way that you would in the game, but instead they become sort of like a temporary hit point buff, just like the druids have by being able to shapeshift uh, with Circle of the Moon. Uh, anyone who's dealt with the Circle of Moon druids knows that you punch them out of the, the ape, they come back into the ape. Uh, high five, Mike. <laughs> right, right back into that grape. Grape ape. So I, love like, good, I love a good ape. Well, we necromancy, know. necromancy is filled with this. And just to just to put the cream on the crop about how this is broken and wrong, uh, you can also just use finger of death to continually like execute people until because that gives you a permanent skeleton under your control. Then you have to be really, you know, careful about your skeletons. But like you can amass like a, if you name every single one and you're like, no, Fred, George, and these are my permas. And this is the one that I have to reassert control. The permas are close. Like who wants to be that makes the necromancer the dick that everyone thinks necromancers <laughs> are. Like, how dare you summon the undead? We have to have 128 turns in combat. Please fix that mechanic. <laughs> that's that's my pitch. I think that I necromancy is, uh, you know, just to swear a little bit, bitchin'. And <laughs> it needs to be in the game in a way that's, like, much more fun to deal with and fun to dabble with without making the other players at the table frustrated that it's like, all right, so this turn, turn economy's broken, we don't like being here, and your skeletons are annoying. Die! Hornet blasting. <laughs> I I, I, so. I I love this. I do want to say, uh, Christian, I want to congratulate you for being the first guest we've had on the show to deliver a pitch in the form of an actual pitch. Yes. Because you. you actually came on and be like, don't you just hate it when the necromancer yeah. takes forever? It was you very nice. Necromancy. You sold us necromancy. You sold us necromancy. I'm buying necromancy it. today. You can get it today, folks. Just go to ChristianTitus.com and you could buy Christian Titus, our good friend, the Necromancer. The nec We've you know, got the Necronomicons. We've got the Libris Mortises. We've got your skin grafters and crazy skeletons. <laughs> Dude, that was that, 
was uncomfortable necromancy with Skeletor. <laughs> I I love that idea. And as someone who's never played a necromancer, uh, I definitely want to see. I definitely want to be in a game at some point soon at a table, at a physical table, where Christian Titus is running his necromancer based on these rules. Absolutely. Oh, I- I'll I'll write it somehow. I'll I'll be obsessed one day and be like, it has to be made. <laughs> I love that. Christian, thank you for that, my friend. Uh, pleasure. Awesome I had job. to get that out. <laughs> I have a short pitch. Me too. So you go first, my friend. Sure. Um, my pitch, by the way, is not um as detailed. Normally, Christian, when we bring on a guest as illustrious as yourself, we actually let you take the floor for basically as long as you want. Then Mike and I usually do something that's kind of just like an add-on. Uh, so I think Mike and I are doing some quick ones. Mike, is that correct today? Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, how about this? Ooh, roll D20 for advancement. Yeah, so this is, um, boy, I don't even know what I'm pitching exactly. Perhaps this is a paragraph or an insert that we could put into the Dungeon Master's Guide. I'm going to call it an essay on the length of combats. Um, So I am speaking to all DMs out there. Uh, So my pitch is in the form of friendly advice that I have noticed after a few years of playing 5th edition and also, like all of you, going through the pandemic playing 5th edition online. Uh, Combat, I'm going to start with the controversial statement. Combat should last three turns. That's the controversial statement. Combat should last three turns. Uh, Here is why. You will present the opponents to the players. You'll roll initiatives. Everyone will do their first turn, which is going to be attacks. We will see what the enemy is capable of. The second turn, probably that same thing will happen. The enemy will do some fighting. The allies will do some fighting. Great. And the third turn hopefully results in one of these two sides winning. Otherwise, you're going to keep doing that same thing over and over again. Now, combat can last longer than three turns if one of the following conditions are met. One, something new happens, meaning another challenger enters the battle. This could be another monster comes in, right? Oh, you thought you were fighting five goblins? Well, here's their friend, the giant ogre, right? Mr. Goblins. Right, whatever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, The bugbear comes in, whatever. Whatever's going to be. Changes changes the game a little bit. The dragon comes in, fine. Uh, Or something happens in the terrain that makes the battlefield unstable or something. I don't know, like a, a fissure suddenly opens up with, you know, spewing like a geyser of, of, of hot steam. Uh, don't you hate hot steam? Come on, guys. <laughs> or possibly three, if it's not going to be like a terrain or a layer condition or something like that, or it's not a new foe. Three, you must bring in a major storytelling element to uh, give the battle context, importance, and to keep the story moving forward. Uh, Here is the reason for Jordan Hughes saying combat should last three turns. Combat in 5th edition is boring. Combat in 5th edition has been simplified to the point where if the combat is lasting longer than three turns or maybe about half an hour if you want like a a, a roundabout how long it's going to be, your players are experiencing incredible redundancy in terms of what they can do, in terms of what the enemies can do to them. This is exacerbated by the fact that usually your party has a cleric uh, or you have access to healing potions, which is all good. That's all part of the game. Uh, But unless your life is on the line or there's a major storytelling component or it's a really interesting battle with a lot of terrain switching and enemy switching, hack and slashing skeletons is really boring. It's really fun in video games, which is a totally different thing. But if you have a long combat that's going on and on, you're fighting essentially the same monsters with no new terrain conditions, no layer conditions, no storytelling, 
that gets really fucking boring really fast. And unfortunately, in this period of the pandemic, in the last few years, indeed in my entire lifetime, I have played with a lot of dungeon masters who seem to think that the longer the combat, the better. It doesn't matter if it's a redundant. Uh, it, it's almost like they cannot see the bored, glass-eyed looks on their players' faces, and they insist that this is fun. Uh, now, combat is an essential part of Dungeons & Dragons. It takes up so much of the rulebook. We know we can't have a game without combat. It's a core part of the game. I could never remove it. But I will say you can have a successful session of Dungeons & Dragons with no combat at all. I'm not endorsing for total peace. Obviously, there must be conflict, and conflict will come to blows. But for the most part, and I'm addressing everyone, your combat is boring. Your combat should be shorter unless. Unless you can meet one of those three conditions, shorten the combat, everyone will be happier for it, and they can get back to what they really want, which is almost always uh, storytelling, character interactions, interactions with NPCs, world-building, valuable storytelling elements. Get out of initiative as soon as you can, unless... You have something compelling that prolongs the battle. That wow. is it. Wow. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I'm I'm way into that. As I told you, 128 turns is just no one's business. <laughs> no <laughs> business. Uh, so that is that is my pitch. My pitch is an essay insert into the Dungeon Master's Guide. Combat should last three turns, asterisk, unless. I love it. I'll I throw love it over that. to you, Mike. All right, folks, I'm going to bring up the end here with how about this? I'm a ghost aged 40 years. So, (laughs) so first and foremost, the rogue needs to be better. I mean, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Oh my God, come on. (laughs) um, Actually, no, the monk needs to do more damage per turn. Um, Now, now, come on. So, for real uh, here, I'm not actually going classic D&D with this. Actually, I agree everything with Jordan. I agree with everything you said. Uh, now finding out that there is a D20 mo- modern module happening for 5th edition, I'm very happy about this. And it's something that I was going to include as part of my pitch, but since it's happening, I'm going to add something on to Everyday Heroes because I do think that Everyday Heroes can use an expansion or a module or some sort of add-on called everyday superheroes. I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. Every superhero system is garbage. They all stink. You're right. Powers are confusing. The books are even more confusing. I've read Mutants and Masterminds. I've read Champions. I've read the old Marvel books that they used to Mm do. I've read through Masks. I've read through every superhero book on the planet, and then none of them make sense. Mutes and masterminds, in order to do combat, you have to look at some kind of chart that you need to like <laughs> right, line market. up yeah. on a table. That's stupid. All right, guys, this is how you do superheroes <laughs> in Dungeons and Dragons. You take a D20 modern type system like Everyday Heroes. You have your base level characters already. Superhero powers, because you can be a fast hero who has powers. You can be a strong hero who has powers. They don't necessarily need to match your character type. But there should be some sort of point by system or some sort of system that you can use to select powers out of a book of superhero powers. And you know what? You start the book with all the powers that people like. You start it with super speed, super strength, super durability, flight, invisibility, healing, all that stuff. Those are how you do your superpowers. You do it like that. You make a book that's essentially superpowers. You can add enhancements 
two classes based on superpowers, but we need a book and we need a series of books that just break down the most common superpowers that people would want to do to build superheroes on. And you can do it on different levels. So for example, let's say you're playing a street level, Marvel comics, Marvel defenders, hell's kitchen, daredevil type game, right? That's the game you want a dark horse type game, like the BPRD and Hellboy, even though Hellboy's gross, grossly powerful. I mean, I love Hellboy. I'm Those telling. Ca- yeah, you could tell him. You could tell Guillermo for me. <laughs> so what I would do with it is that that's a that you can start a campaign with that where there's still the same powers <clears throat> to choose from essentially, but they're on a weaker level, meaning that you're buying into powers that are lesser, quote unquote, in points. Then you could do like a bigger Marvel star- style game where it's like characters like Spider-Man or Iron Man or Captain America, where they're not like gods, but they're still powerful and they still have these upgraded powers. So you're, you're looking at yeah. different tiers of powers. And then you have like what I would call a DC Justice League style game where these are like gods on Earth and these people have these ridiculous powers and you can combine multiple powers together. But, you know, if you got a guy like Batman, instead of investing his powers into his PowerPoints, into powers, you invest them into his toys, you invest them into his gadgets, you invest them into his ability to change the environment around him, make his intelligence better. Now, there are some of the systems that do this on a base level and they do it pretty well. It's just that after a certain amount of time, it gets super, super confusing. People want to be able to just play it like their favorite superhero. And I think that the way Jordan has d- had done it in college um, is incredibly time consuming on the DMs because he it was is, essentially yeah. writing the book. And as someone who has tried to do that a little bit now, I totally get it. You kind of get a little confused as how, how powers are broken or stuff like that. But that's something you would do before the game started. And this would be an add-on to a, a D20 modern type situation where you would essentially just craft a group of superpowers and then continue to add to the list as you get further on. But you have people like, well, I like kinetic absorption or I like, um, you know, uh, like um, elasticity or plasticity and stuff like that. So these are things that you can continuously upgrade into these in today's day and age. That's really the joy of it all, because you could do stuff like this electronically so you can continue to update the books electronically and physically if you'd like so that's my very short pitch and add it. on to a modern game mm. where we're finally get superpowers that work yeah that's, mike that's i love great. that yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, you guys think, know me of course well yeah well, well i think what's so important about what you're saying is you know every game gaming group a group of friends whatever that games eventually tries the tabletop superhero adventure of course and goes through the same discovery that we have gone through which is that all those systems are hard to use and something that is designed in exactly the way you're saying is is what they need to do. Yes. Yes. We just need a basic a basis on how they all work within a D20 system. And I think it's fine because then you can create villains and stuff like that that are on the right power level and do all that stuff. You can make people like that as well. And if you want to move it to a universe that you know, you can easily adjust those characters because all those powers should work. You know, you yep. got characters yeah. like, like Spider-Man and Superman who are a little difficult because they have tons of superpowers. But ultimately, in the end, I think there's a way you could do it with some sort of point by system. Yep. And to, to go off of what you're saying, Mike, and to like look at it from Jordan's perspective, too, about three round combat. One of the things that like some there are some elements that I've liked from those games, like the idea of being staggered. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You hit somebody and they're staggered and it's like, how many more hits do they take after being staggered before they're like crushed into the earth? Yeah. And that's like up to you. But I think that like the powers, when they have a staggered system, it makes some of the powers ineffectual or like not, not 
not like useful. Like, yeah. it's just yeah. like, uh, I don't get to feel how cool this power is because it's like, and you've staggered them. Yeah, okay. it's it's very, it's very, it's a little too open for my liking a lot of the time. And, and that makes things confusing. You need a little restriction uh, in order to, I think, really feel like a great character. Yeah, you can't just have it. You can't have a system be so shapeless that it is barely a system. Exactly. You still need a yeah. system. And that it's up to the GM and the players to figure out how open that system is. I agree. But dudes right. that have those have those were some lovely yeah. pitches, my friends. Thank yeah, you both job, so very guys. much. The, um, uh, Christian, uh, time for some shameless plugs. Yeah. What are you working what are you on? Dude? Shamelessly plugging. Uh, so, um, I have finished my first audiobook Ooh. in my entire life and it is on audible. It is called black forest by J Scott Boyd. Um, and talk about, uh, like your adventure campaigns. This one is, you know, a coming of age, novel uh about like some latchkey kids who end up finding uh nazi gold of all things in their town in colorado and uh what ensues is neo-nazis chasing them and trying to you know get this like hidden gold from them more a story about like learning to grieve with your your friends and 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 follow through on the relationships that mean a lot to you in life um and eventually uh i am in the works and talks about uh planning dicey rolls season two Woo! and i'm very very excited about some of the things more music uh more players and definitely some more bizarre places to go we can't wait for more dicey rolls. That's that's awesome. Thank that's you. right, folks out there. Please go to your podcatchers and search out dicey rolls. That's D I C E Y rolls R O L E S, right? Or is it R O L L S? It's R O L E S. Yes. yes. So rolls as in role playing and dicey as in dicey and rolling dice. Mm -hmm. So everyone out there, go check out dicey rolls. Yeah, for the first time ever, I have a shameless plug on this podcast because usually we're just yeah. plugging uh, ourselves. Um, so um, Christian and I worked on uh, an expansion uh, for stat trackers, which yeah. is coming out uh, this year, actually. Um, so for Ooh. the unacquainted, stat trackers is a supplemental product for uh, fifth edition D&D. It is an initiative tracker that folds over the DM screen and uh, comes pre-printed with the um, 317 monsters from the SRD. But what we did was we created some monsters of our own, Christian and I, and a, a really cool team of collaborators working under James Kelleher, who is the president of Top Dog Games, uh, came out with this product. Uh, it will be out, I'm told, after a shipping delay, will be out this summer. So it'll be out in July. But um, I will be at PAX East with the uh, initial set of the product, including our uh, DM screen and hit point trackers and all that cool stuff. I will be at PAX East in Boston the weekend that this episode is coming out. So he's uh, there now, folks. Go see so, him. So yeah. he's Jordan. Yes, I'm there right now. <laughs> go to yes. PAX East. And go come to visit PAX me East. Go say the hi. Top Dog Games booth uh, selling stat trackers. And then in July, or if you want to do a little tooling around online at topdoggames.net, you can take a look at a little preview for friends and foes which will contain original uh npcs and monsters for fifth edition love it jordan i can't wait to see them i can't jordan, wait jordan and christian congratulations on all the great things that you both are working on so once again thank you all for listening to this episode of how about this where we talked about dungeons and dragons with the masterfully talented wizard mr christian titus christian thank you so much for being here we really appreciate it and oh, thank you christian, for having me do you know what we're going to give you for appearing on this uh, episode um my wish of being a real dragon? Uh, no, we're going to give you a juice box of your choosing. 
<laughs> I. Oh my god. <laughs> that is a deep cut, folks. Uh, oh, go go cut. go check out go check out the Unseen Network. Our on, first show. Go check our out first our show. first show. The Unseen I Network the on nuts. <laughs> <laughs> go go check out the Unseen Network on the podcatcher of your choosing. But once again, for Jordan Hugh and Christian Titus, I am Mike Staub, and thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on How About This. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of How About This. We want to thank Christian Titus for being on this show with us. Please be sure to check out everything great that he's doing, but especially the Dicey Rolls podcast on the podcatcher of your choosing. If you want to find me and Jordan out there on the internet, you can find us at How About This Pod on Facebook and Instagram. And also, if you go to your podcatcher, give us a like, a subscribe, give us a review, share it with your friends because it makes the show that much more visible. We'll be back soon with more episodes of How About This.